the most competitive guy. I, I mean, I would throw on Michael Jordan, Isaiah Thomas, oh, yeah. Kobe Bryant. It's basketball. It can't be, you know, you, you can't overthink it. Welcome back to the uh, King and Foster show. I am Terry Foster, uh, along with Jimmy King from the, I, I like to call him the fabulous one because he played for the Fab Five, shooting guard. You played a little small for was it mostly, uh, was it always shooting guard? What were you considered? I played point. I played point, a shooting guard. I played everything. Okay. I shooting remember uh, I remember a young man named Jalen Rose playing point guard for those teams. It's just no, he, he was never the point guard, but I played point. Jalen Rose was not the point guard for the Fab Five. That ain't what I said. I said I played point. You asked me how many positions I played. I played – I started at the two, but at the okay. end of the game, I was running point. Okay. All right, don't get defensive. <laughs> I'm just asking questions. I, I just want to be educated. You asked me the question. <laughs> I know <laughs> what we <you> did. <laughs> Right. I know what we did. Now, a few just, shows ago, huh? right, if you can shut up for a minute, a few shows <laughs> ago, um, as we know, you guys had very high-profile final game appearances against Duke and North Carolina. And I asked you, would you rather have played for either Duke or North Carolina with a natty in your back pocket, or would you rather play for the Fab Five, losing both games? And you said... You're happy that you played with the Fab Five. That's the team you would have rather have been on at the end of the day, as history remembers that. And uh, why is that that you were more excited or would rather play for the Fab Five than have a national title in your back pocket? Because, because the people to this day remember the Fab Five. They don't remember who won the national title. Okay, so you believe you made a bigger impact on college basketball than either Duke or North Carolina? Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> I I agree. I'm just asking. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> no, I, like I, I think you're, I, so. You're so the, the 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 relationship, the memories, um, you know, everything that we put into building that program and 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 leaving a legacy. Um, in, uh, in spite of, of not winning a, a, a national championship or a Big Ten championship, um, is pretty impactful. Uh, we didn't set out to not win. Our, our goal was to win a national championship um, and a Big Ten championship. We fell short on both. However, in the process, we won hearts. We impacted the game for life. We impacted the aesthetics of literally transcending from all sports to culture. Um, there every day, you know, when I'm driving and I pull up to a stop sign or a light or a corner and I look over and it's uh, an 80 year old gentleman wearing black shoes and black socks or, or there's a four year old kid running around with black shoes and black socks. They may not, necessarily uh know of the fab five but i can without a doubt say that's my legacy so without um winning a national championship or winning or, or beating duke 
or the North Carolina team in 93. Uh, of course, I w would like to have a national championship, but the alternative for me and, and my experience in building um, and what we've done with the Fab Five, I wouldn't trade it at all. Okay. I'll, I'll bring you to my closet one day. I have a uh, bucket full of black socks. I have like, <laughs> I would say like 80, 85% of my athletic socks are black and like only 15% of them are white. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, see, where to support the fab, man. See, that's what I'm talking about. See, that's, that's the whole world subliminally supports the fab five. They wear our gear. We told the world how to dress. And they still do it to this day. So that being said, like my man Jalen Rose said, nobody can name the, the North Carolina team that beat us in 93. Okay. Now, on that faithful night against North Carolina, I was there. <clears throat> uh, we know Chris Weber called the timeout that <clears throat> prevented you from winning the game. It was the last nail in the coffin there. And we just had an instance with De DeAndre Swift where he dropped a ball in the end zone that could have beat the Green Bay Packers. Now, granted, the Swift drop, it wasn't on a biggest stage as Chris Weber. But I want to know, when Weber got back to the to University of Michigan campus, got back amongst his people, do you know how he was treated by by Michigan fans, what they said, how they treated him, how they interacted with him after that. How, how did they treat Chris Weber when he came back to campus and back to Michigan? What I remember uh, is, you know, it was really just somber. It was a lot of empathy. You know, people really didn't know how to react or respond because it was just such a big shot. Shot. Everybody, you know, expected or thought we were going to win. Um, and, and what I say to people, and I think people who are close to the program realize is that the timeout didn't cause the game um, or us to lose the game. Um, it was, you know, we, it was an unfortunate, you know, turn of events, but uh, that one play didn't cause us to lose the game um, totally. Um, you look back four minutes prior um, I think around a six minute mark, maybe six minutes. Um, Dean Smith did a very good coaching job in putting in the bench players to run clock and to make us run defense for 35, 45, for 45 seconds in the shot clock and um, tire out our legs. So if you look at the shots that we took uh, when um, about about three and a half, four minutes left in the game. We got some pretty good looks, but they were short. Um, shot a couple of air balls. It hit the front of the rim. You know, um, our legs just weren't there. So, you know, if you if you really break the game down, that to me was a a, a pivotal moment in the game because those shots, it's like the Clippers. The Clippers against the Nuggets the other night in the playoffs, uh, I think – if they weren't tired, if they if those if their leg if they had their legs under them, um, they hit the three point shots that they miss, and then two three minutes left in the game, it's a three point game 
or a two point game. And th- then, you know, the outcome could become different because then you got guys who who really don't perform well when it's tight like that. But you got guys who can shoot the blood out of it when you have a 10 point lead with a couple minutes left. They don't have that extra pressure on them. So there's a lot of uh, uh, factors that go into it. But, um, yeah, for um, yeah, going back. Yeah, but for for us and and. And that era and the timeout and Chris and how he was treated, I think the people who were close, you know, understood. He gave his blood, heart, sweat, tears. He carried us. He led us there. Um, it was a, a a mental mistake that any of us could have made at that moment. I think that is how we took it. And honestly, to this day, like I said in the documentary, and even to this day, we have not discussed it. <laughs> We have uh, internally between us, we haven't discussed the timeout, but um, uh, fans from what I've seen, the people on campus and and in general, immediately after it happened, nothing, nobody, nobody said anything. I think, you know, people just kind of kept a tight lip and, 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 you know, tried to keep their head up and keep it moving. But you know, they were pissed though. They were like, damn, we we almost (laughs) had it. that could have been our last time. As teammates, when a teammate makes a big mistake like that, I, I know sometimes maybe you might be in the corner away from him and say, man, did you see what so-and-so just did? How do you treat that player? What what do you say to him? Do you say anything to him? Or how do you handle that as a teammate? You don't say anything. You know exactly what the what the situation is, what the magnitude of the situation is. There's nothing you can say. You don't want to um, pour more uh, salt in the wound. That's your brother. You want to pick him up. You want to help him get through it. And that's what we did. Um, and that's why we never discussed it. We knew it was an honest mistake. And we knew it could have happened to any one of us. And if if it was the case, if it was me, I would expect my brothers to do the same thing and pick me up. And, and, and that's what we did. So, um, you know, even going back and, and, and replaying it a billion times in my head, um, my reaction would be the same. I would always uh, turn to Chris and have his back uh, versus asking a question as to why. But you never discussed it with him. You never even said, Chris, you know, hey, it could have happened to anybody. Sorry, brother. Well, you know, we'll get you, we'll get you next time. You never even said that to him? Just keep your was head Matt, up. Okay, was Matt Patricia wrong? Now, let me ask you, was, was, was Coach Matt Patricia wrong in throwing his arms around DeAndre Swift saying, you didn't lose this game, uh, it was bad coaching, it, we made a number of bad plays. He addressed it immediately after the game. She just moved on and not said anything? No, that's a great coaching move. That's exactly what you do. That's how you handle the situation. I remember you said what? But it's something teammates shouldn't do or you you guys just chose not to do it. No, no, no. We did that. We we said what we said was so we didn't discuss the timeout as if like, you know, what happened? Why'd you call it? Uh, what'd you hear? What'd you see? 
you know, what were you thinking? It wasn't like that. It was like, yo, keep your head up. Don't walk around here. Let people see you walk with your head down. It's a mistake. All right. We're going to deal with it outside of here. But right now, in front of all these people, keep your head up. That that was the message. Even though it was a mistake and as horrible as he may have felt, as horrible as it was, at in that moment, it would have been magnified even worse if he had fell on the ground and balled up into, you know what I mean? Like it, the image of that would have been worse. The image of him bending over, uh, you know, holding his head down, that is not the image that I foresaw and wanted for him. That's why I hugged him when it happened immediately. If you watch the film, I was holding him up because he, he was so distraught that he was about to fall over. So I was holding this 250 pound man up. And when I whispered in his ear to, to stand up, because I, because if in about five seconds, we both were going to fall on the floor. So I said, stand up. And I hit him in his chest to make him stand up. And that's why the moment you see him, he keeps doing this. He keeps holding his head up because he was going to fall over. And I was like, if you hold your head up and look to the sky, you won't fall. Well, I, I actually don't fault Chris Webber for the timeout because you know who called timeout. Who? Don't Michael start. Tyler. There you go, with my man, Mike T. Mike T did not call the timeout. I'm standing by my man, Mike Tizzles. <laughs> like I said we all we've all been there we all make mistakes I know you know what we see on the film and it looks like Mike T is saying um uh or they put a spotlight on the hands of of someone and they're giving or attributing that to Mike to my man Michael T Mike Talley but like at, the, at the end of the day Mike T doesn't call plays. Mike T doesn't call timeouts. So we can't put that on him. That'd be like saying uh, uh, Dugan Fife or, or, or somebody, one of the managers or, you know, somebody uh, that didn't play as much, one of our walk-ons were the cause of that. Yeah, but I didn't see Dugan Fife doing like this. <laughs> I saw Dugan doing like this, like, damn, really? <laughs> Mike Talley was like, hey, Chris, time out, brother. <laughs> but, you know, him. I know one day we probably will have the discussion. I will have the discussion with my brother and ask him what happened and what, what he saw in that moment. But okay. as of today, we have not had that conversation. So if you were a member of the Detroit Lions, wide receiver Jimmy King, First of all, you would say, I should have got that ball. I would have caught it. But Monday, you guys come back into the locker room. You would not say anything to DeAndre Swift. You would just let him no. roll. Uh, what I would I would say something, but what I would say would be positive, just like Patricia did. What Patricia did is exactly what a coach should do. Put their arm around him and say, hey, this was my bad. It's coaching mistakes. Um, 
you know, we shouldn't even been in this position and keep it moving because you know your player is going to catch that ball 99 out of 100 times. Wide open like that, game time, he's going to catch the ball. That's that one time. And it, unfortunately, you know, we have the lionized moniker, so it's easy to attribute it to a lionized moniker. But if he was playing for the New England Patriots or um, uh, or the Rams or, you know, uh, one of the elite teams or, or Kansas City, and he dropped that pass, you know, we'll just – it, it wouldn't be as as, as uh, magnified as, you know, same old Lions or same old Chiefs or, you know, same old whatever team the, the player's playing for. I think that's compounded because of the years of destitute for the Lions and the many ways it seems like the team find find creative ways to lose. And, and when you see that, you know, it just brings back a floodgate of all of those memories. When I saw that play, it brought back floodgates of all the times, you you know, the Lions have lost in that manner. So I think it's exponentially uh, uh, blown up because it is the Lions. But again, I don't think it's, a, it's as bad as what uh, it, it it looks now. If he comes back and do it next week, you got to cut him. Hey, you got crack on him. But, you know, the thing <laughs> is, if he played for New England or Kansas City or any other team, he would have caught that ball. They would have won. You can't expect that. It happens I, to all of them. We've, it seen, does, it. We've seen it. We've seen other players for New England drop passes from the GOATs, Tom Brady. We've seen that in the end not zone. Not with two seconds left. They catch those balls. Well, they're locked in. <laughs> so, what do you think happened? What do you, what What do you think happened in that play with DeAndre Swift? What do you think? Happened? I, I think DeAndre Swift saw the ball. He said, "I got it," and then he he may have turned a little too quickly. Maybe you know his fundamentals left him because he's thinking, "This is my I just won this game," and he just didn't see the ball all the way through how about uh, was he how about this was he so excited that his hands got too rigid and his man, arms got too tight when the ball hit his hands when the ball hit his hands it was so hard it just literally bounced off your hands that's why the term soft hands are used when you're talking about receiving or throwing or catching and people with basketball, particularly basketball, you want to have soft hands. If your hands are hard, think about it. If you got calluses or you got hands or, or hard gloves on that, uh, the, 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 I almost call it buoyancy, but the, uh, the way that the ball bounces when it hits that harder surface is, is, is more apt to bounce off. So, in that moment, he may have been too excited, just like kids, right? They get too excited. And when you see them, you know, start to tighten up, you'd be like, hey, relax. And then when they do, they look like all-stars. It's the same thing. I, just gotta, I'll, agree just gotta be- I'll agree with that. But I think he was he was almost celebrating inside of his mind a little bit. He says, yeah. oh, I got this. 
I've never dropped a pass before. Yes, well, I haven't, correct. He, he hasn't dropped a pass in like over uh, a couple of years. He, exactly. he saw that. I, I just beat Chicago. I won our season opener. Everyone's going to be happy. Oops. Dropped it. Yep. With the ball. Yeah, he was too excited. I'm telling you, he was excited. That's what it looked like. It looked like he, like just before the ball got there, he just started to, and then it was like, oh. Mm-hmm. We've been there before. I'm not giving them excuses. I've done it before. I know from experience. So with that being said, it never happened again. He has to be able to make the adjustment in that moment. All right, here, here's the thing that I fear is, um, first of all, I don't believe in momentum, good or bad, between games. I think a game... They're all separate chapters, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. But the thing that I fear is that the Lions, next time they have a big lead in the fourth quarter, that's going to be in the back of their mind. Blowing these games is going to be in the back of their mind, and it's something that's hard to get rid of. It's the mental part of the game that a lot of us fans don't see, but um, I fear the next time the Lions have like a 14-point lead or a 17-point lead early in the fourth quarter, I mean, they could choke that away too because it's in the back of your mind. This game is not over. We're capable of losing this game. And uh, the mentality I would like to see is, okay, we're going to shut this thing down. Um, And I I think, you know, you start to play not to lose, particularly in football. You play not to lose. You're running clock. Uh, he, here's what I will say. I would rather be a team, let's say the two-minute warning, I'd rather be the team down a score than up a score with uh, two minutes, let's say two minutes and 30 seconds left. First and 10 at the 20, I'd rather be losing because I already know that team that's winning is going to run the ball three three times in a row. I'm going to bet my defense can stop them on you know third and three or third and four, whatever it's going to be, and then I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to be loosey-goosey. I know I got a pass. I know I got a score. So I'd rather be in that position. I, I just think the Lions got a little tight uh, in the back of their mind. All we, all we need is one first down to win this game. We need one touchdown to win this game. And I think that played in their mind too much. I thought it was a mental loss, and the Lions get that a lot. And, um, you know, it's passed down from their coaches, which, by the way, their coach will be fired. (laughs) True. I agree with you 100%. And I'm going to take it a step further. Like, okay, the new coach with the Cowboys, the coach of Aaron Rodgers for how many years? Ten years? Mm Mm-hmm. They were on, I don't know, the eight-yard line, 10-yard something, fourth and three, field goal range, a chip shot, and you don't take it. You go for it on fourth and three. So all the game planning, all the calls you made to get to this point, you're going to sacrifice to, I don't know, prove a point. There's no point better proven than winning the game. 
So, again, like the players could do all they can, but then the, it's also the coach. Like you said, the coaches make the decisions. And, um, you know, at times, it, like, that's so glaring. It, obviously, we know that's a coaching decision, but the, but, but the fan base all across are still going to point out to certain plays that players could have made offensively or defensively or special teams that could have changed the game, but that's not fair in that situation, in my opinion, because that's clearly out of the player's hands. No player can go over there and say, we're going to kick the ball or not kick the field goal and run or, or go for it on fourth and three and think expect to have a job. So, right. Well, I, you know, coaches always say in that situation, why well, believe in my players? And I, and I'm all for believing my players, but let's not be idiots though. Fourth and tr- three, where you can get three a chip shot field goal, that's that's more than believing your players. That's that's being a fool, right? Because you know, so, so with that being said, he's going Aaron Rodgers for ten years, and he made that call. I'm surprised the Lions didn't hire him. <laughs> well, you know what? If it don't work out for the Cowboys, he may be lining up there. You know, you know how the Lions love to retrain. I know, I know. All right. Well, enjoy your weekend. Are you going to get some barbecue or Mexican food this weekend down there in beautiful Dallas? Actually, I'm going. I'm going Mexican this weekend. This week, I went barbecue. I had went to a place called Hard Eight. Uh, you know, I don't eat a lot of meat, but the meat was pretty good. Uh, wasn't that bad? The sauce was good. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to find a new Mexican place, and I'll, I'll do my report on it for you next week. All right, thank you. I'm I'm having a grilled chicken this weekend. I might treat oh, myself yeah. to McDonald's once, but probably not. <laughs> All right. So, what you getting right. at McDonald's for? Uh, I just get two two hamburgers. Oh yeah, old school. Yeah. I like it. Yep. Yep. No fries. Huh? Yeah, no fries. fries. You gotta get some fries. Yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta, fries. gotta get some fries. They're great. Like if you go to McDonald's and not get fries, you should go to jail. I agree. That should be illegal. I agree. But Burger King, if you do get the fries at Burger King, you should go to jail. <laughs> That's right. It's all about the flame broil. <laughs> flame, flame broil is pretty good. All right, you take it easy, man. We'll see you next week. Terry Foster here, brother. Jimmy King, King and Foster. And uh, we'll be with you again next week on nrmstreamcast.com. King and Foster. Everybody check out. Peace out. Peace out. <laughs>